crack a beer and join John and Mr. Steve as they explore the people, places, and brews of the craft beer world. You are now entering the Mighty Brews Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mighty Brews, episode 73. My name is John. With me, as always, Mr. Steve. How you doing tonight? I'm really glad I was able to make it here because I, w- I really was like... 70 20 or 70 30 not gonna make it really the march madness is acting up yeah march madness catch it i'm not in it i'm not in it at all if you want to call like uh the the formula one season starting march madness i'd be okay with that you can rebrand it doesn't start till sunday starts it starts friday it's already technically started i'll say they're dicking around yeah, well, they're testing. They're sandbagging. There's they're some sandbagging probably. going on. That's what I hear. Guaranteed. That's what I hear. They say Mercedes every year says, we got to get our shit together. We're struggling. And then they just come out the first race and blow yeah. everybody away. It's coming. We'll see what happens. But guys, uh, we have a fantastic, very exciting guest here with us. We've got Dan from the Furrow Blendery and Ghost Garden. Dan, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. I haven't caught the madness yet. No madness. We'll There's still some March left. <laughs> still so much but I i've got like a fake bracket yeah, during the entire thing yeah. <laughs> i've got zero madness no but the march i'll take um dan i'm like super excited to talk to you right so um i feel like uh i was like a low-key fan early on uh from like your brewing days and um you know, knew about you, heard about you, and you started to. From when I, what I felt, my perception, you were getting this this good reputation in the beer world, and uh, and then I hear about this new thing that you're doing, and I got really excited about it because I was just starting to learn about things like barrel aged, and um, you know, wild fermentation and blending and things like that that like weren't even on my radar. I was just like, oh, I, I think I like mosaic hops you know, more than this hop and, and still trying to figure out what I like. And then, you know, as I start realizing this whole other, like, uh, this whole other level of, of beer, um, it's exciting to hear that there is somebody local that's putting, that's putting a, a thing like that together. So I'm really yeah, excited to talk to you. There's a handful of, uh, handful of operations uh, around the Philly area, but it is, it's not a style. Um, it's not an approach to beer that a lot of people um, go about. Just because a it's unpredictable. I mean, you you dump a lot of beer to make good beer uh, in the barrel world. Uh, it's unpredictable. You know where it's going to end up. Um, it's not something that's necessarily uh, scalable. Uh, and right. so, if you're looking to start a brewery, start a blendery, um, there's not a whole lot of ways you can do it. Uh, where usually you see it the other way, where it's folks who have a brewery uh, where they're putting out you know all their stainless stuff, you know their IPAs and. All, all the all the things that kind of keep the lights on, but then they kind of have some barrels squirreled away in the back. They're like, oh yeah, we we decided to play around with something uh, where to be dedicated to just oak. Um, there are there are places that do it, but there's not a lot relative to folks who are doing stainless fermentation. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know we recently had a guest on that did this whole uh, movie on bottle conditioned beer, and he spent time uh, in Belgium, right with. Um, what is it, uh, Drayvon Teen? And I don't think he said he did the to kill him. He said it much no. more. He pronounced it much better. But Cantillon and whatever else. But, like, the whole thing, the whole discussion we had with him like was just completely fascinating to me to realize how much more difficult and how much time goes into these things, these, these wild fermented barrel beers, things like that. So um, 
I'm super, super excited to get into it. But first, what we really have to do is start with that the background question, right? All new guests, we have to ask you, what was your first craft beer experience? Try to walk us through the first time you had that beer that made you go, holy crap, there's, there's something really special going on here. Yeah, I have two... Uh, the things that come to mind, I have two bad answers. Um, the first one is uh, Peach Strawberry Blonde. Oh, there you go. Nice. I thought that was really, like, my my 19-year-old uh, self thought that that was the shit. The Pete's um, Wicked shoot-off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know, I don't even know if they, where the brewery is or if they even make anything like that anymore. Um, between that and, uh, you know, Sam Adams Summer Ale, which, mm. um, you know, the thing about the first things where I was like, oh, okay, um, this is a little bit different. This has some ingredients I haven't seen before. Um, yeah, it's not as like a romantic of a story. I'm not sure. What do people typically say? Like, what's what's their go-to? The most I think we've heard is Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Yeah. I think that's, that's, the, that's most probably the most popular. Common, yeah. I, 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 I like being drawn to the, having a couple of new ingredients I'd never seen before and then just uh, basically underage drinking as well, which I would never promote or condone. But, uh, yeah, we but we did. <laughs> But uh, that's not, not far off concept. That's not far off from uh, from my story because I I really started off um, not liking beer at all, and I was drinking twisted teas and Jack and Cokes, and you know that was like my young you know drinking days early on. And um, when I first started to get that taste of beer, not even craft beer really, right? But Line and Kugel summer shandies that turned into Blue Moons and Shock Tops, and you know these citrus wheat beers. And, um, you know, but then, you know, I, I, I actually, when I fell in love with like the blue moons and stuff, I put a kegerator in my house and I constantly had Sam Adams summer ale on. Like that's yeah. one that like my wife and I both loved that it was just, it was a good, you know, uh, it's been a long, long time since I've had it, but, um, you know, a nice big body beer, that's not a crazy ABV and still yeah. crushable. So it's like, it kind of was just, you know, something, but my, my real gateway that blew my mind was a sculpin. The first time I had a Sculpin, it was probably one of the early, like, just IPAs that I ever had with all the, the hop and, and malt and everything. I was just like, holy crap, there's so much going on here compared to a lot of the stuff that I had had before. So, um, you know, that's kind of my thing. But but it's funny you brought up uh, the, the Summer Ale because that's definitely one of the uh, the earlier beers that I had. Yeah, I was lucky. I mean, my, my, phase, uh, my phase of drinking shitty beers, it was basically one year, freshman year. Uh, and then I uh, was lucky enough to kind of get linked up with some uh, some uh, guys on the hockey team who somehow were all into drinking craft beer. And uh, so they kind of sw- uh, steered me away from that pretty early on. But uh, I remember, you know, freshman year uh, helping people with their work and uh, doing, uh, was it Molson Triple X? I charged them a case oh, yeah. of Molson Triple X to help them with their work. Uh, so that was uh, that was one year when I was gutter, you know, gut, uh, dumpster diving. And then uh, soon, I mean, soon after I started getting into craft stuff. Um, growing up in uh, Central PA, I'm a Trogues Homer. Um, I, my, with their current brewery in Hershey, my, my parents' house um, is about a mile away from it. So I, I you know, going to Trogues early on, uh, going to you know Appalachian Harrisburg early on, um, you know, early on in finding beer, I had places that I went where I thought they, I was especially with Trogues, I lucked out and having an awesome brewery. Uh, besides making good beer, being good people, and just being a good operation. Uh, that was sort of my, you know, my 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 hallmark for this is what I think a brewery should be, uh, you know, the Trogner brothers and what they, they they did. So I got lucky to be raised in that pedigree. Then when I moved down to this area to do my masters at Villanova, 
um, I was lucky enough to get us get a job while I was doing my master's at the beer yard down in Wayne. And so working with Matt Geyer down there, um, I got linked in with um, a guy who helped to create the brands that we love. You know, Matt, Matt Geyer uh, down in Wayne is a little tiny distributor, but he was pretty fundamental in you know, the days where Victory was getting going and Dogfish was still didn't have a huge footprint in uh, in outside of, uh, you know, outside of the, the Philly city. And so having a guy with that kind of institutional knowledge, access to awesome beer, but access to people who make beer was a huge, huge influence on, you know, my, my education, not just as a brewer, but uh, as a person who loves the world of beer. Uh, so him like forcing them, not, not a generally outgoing person. So him right. forcing me to say like, meet this bar owner, meet this brewer, meet this guy who does wholesale, you know, not just the brewers, the, the people who are responsible for making this industry tick and talk and, you know, force go talk to this guy. Um, that was a huge part of my my research, my free research for you know this this uh, lifestyle. You know, it's not just it's not just the drinking and the uh, the making. Right. It's you know understanding the the importance of the guys who have to move it as well. So that's wild. So you know you're talking about um, you know kind of the early parts of your career. At what point did making beer um, you know become something that you wanted to do? You know on a homebrew small scale, and and how did that evolve? Well, yeah, I mean, when I went off to college, um, when I went off to college, uh, had a good time, came home, and my parents were pretty clear with me, like, you're not, you know, you're not going to drink at home while you're here. And, you know, you're in our house, you're not under, under drinking. So I was like, well, what if I make it? Sure, whatever. Like, at that point, it's either <laughs> here, whatever. if you take the time to make it, go nuts. Yeah. So I got into it. But uh, during college, I worked at a, I worked at a hotel. Um, and I worked a bunch of different jobs there, but, uh, I also did a, a couple of years of night shifts. Like, so basically I had eight hours paid to sit while everyone else is asleep and just read and read and read and being, being an English major, obviously I read a lot of stuff for school, but like I had eight hours a night, uh, to just study and read everything I could find about beer. So having that chunk of my life, I would not recommend working at nights to anybody. No, it it's sucks. terrible. It messes with your, <laughs> it messes with everything. But if you yeah. need eight hours a night where nobody's bothering you, um, and it's a, uh, it's that. I mean, having that time just to sit and read everything I could possibly find, uh, I fell in love with it. Just as sort of a research, how do I do this? How do I, how do I figure it out? Um, so that's how I kind of got, you know, in the in the brewing. Then at college, I was, you know, brewing and uh, not brewing, but fermenting in my uh, my dorm room. Uh, you know, we'd, I'd have a couple carboys in the dorm room, uh, fermenting out and packaged there as well. So yeah, I made it work. Um, you know, but I would kind of go home to go home to Hershey to my parents' house to brew, then drive the work two hours up to to, to central PA, uh, central PA. I went to Juniata, uh, went to Juniata as my nice. old mater. But I would drive the work two hours back up to school to uh, to and ferment. So that's the kind of uh, crazy that I was involved with. Yeah, that's um, wild. <laughs> crazy story. I, I was about to ask, like, you know, what, what do you mean that you were just fermenting there? But that's nuts. I wonder at what point. What point does the the wart become not legal to have at college? Not illegal, but against the college rules. Like, hey, you got beer in there? Like, no, I don't. I have wart. What are you talking about? Yeah, this is this is pretty much yeah, tea right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like at some point they wouldn't split hair. So you gotta get this crap out of here. Yeah, <laughs> get out of here. My RA actually said, if you can sneak a keg past the security desk, call me. So I don't think it would have been a problem where when I was at Temple, it yeah. just been like, "Fuck, nice. you're making it. Go, go do whatever <laughs> you're doing." 
Yeah, go nuts. Don't bother me. Yeah. Don't ever knock on my door again. <laughs> before, before we talk about this first beer that we're drinking, um, kind of kind of walk us to the next step, right? So you're, you're home brewing, um, you're going to school, you're working, you're, you're studying, um, you know, and then, and then you start getting some jobs, right, um, in the industry. But how did how did you end up becoming a an actual brewer uh, with a legit brewery? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's appropriate that we are drinking this beer um, to sidetrack it, but not sidetrack it. Um, this this uh, saison uh, is released under the Noble Toil series. So as I'm doing small um, as I'm doing small batches and like just fun one off blends, I just created a series for it instead of having to rename and redo art for everything. So like, okay, this is this is something, you know, the, the series of beers I'll put up when I have a small amount of things. Uh, but this one uh, was brewed with free will. Um, but not just with free will, but with a guy named Nate Walter, um, nice. who I'm not sure if you know him. He's one of the few white guys with dreads. <laughs> you can't miss him. He's one um, of the guys that I don't know, but I know of, and I feel like yeah. most people know of. <laughs> yep. He likes it that way. Uh, he likes it that way. Yeah, he's, he's not a super outgoing guy, but um, he we brewed this beer together. Um, last year, Ida flooded out their cellar. Um, so I'm not sure if you heard the news on that, yep. but, uh, I mean, there's just, uh, for me, just seeing that much work and years and years of liquid, um, just being destroyed, uh, was pretty nuts. But of course, Nate's the kind of guy where I text him like, Hey man, it's awful. Um, and he's like, eh, well, you start over yeah. and like, it just didn't phase <laughs> him at all. So, you know, in, in, in light of that, I asked him down to, to brew with me here and uh, do a project together. So it's a special beer with a special person, uh, which back to your question um, my first foot in the professional, uh, brew house was because of Nate. Okay. Uh, he was brewing at McKenzie's and Malvern at the time. And I was homebrewing and doing sours and stuff at home that people, that, you know, people enjoyed and they asked for bottles of homebrew and stuff like that. And, uh, Nate let me come and make some water on his system and put it in barrels and play around with it. Um, so it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's great that you asked that question while we're drinking this beer, uh, because that was, I mean, 12, 13 years ago now. Mm. Um, that he gave me my first, it was you know, unpaid internship, but basically uh, coming and working with him uh, to learn uh, how to run a professional system. So, I mean, this is my, this beer is my little thank you uh, this many years on uh, getting to, you know, kind of hand it back a little bit. Um, you know, getting handed back was, was special. And on top of that, I don't know why he never told me this, but Nate um, left McKenzie's to go up to free will. And basically the culture that, um, the culture that was in the barrels at McKenzie's, uh, he finally told me now after 10 years, they took that culture up to free will and used mm. that as sort of one of the home uh, cultures for their seller program, which I never knew. But I, like, I wish you would have oh, told wow. me a while yeah. ago because <laughs> it yeah. would have been nice to know. It doesn't matter. It's Brett. I mean, it's, it's, it's stuff that I grew up. Uh, it's not, it's not, there's nothing proprietary about it, but it would have been right. cool. So this beer was brewed. Um, this beer is brewed with cultures from some of the last bottles that Nate was able to save from the cellar. Nice. So the idea that this 12 years ago, this culture starts in, starts in a barrel in Malvern. It goes up to free will for many, many years. And now, you know, 12 years later, it's coming back to Malvern, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from his bottles and, you know, we're keeping it, keeping it going here in some of our barrels. So um, I don't know how I, I could make a prettier um, story that just shows how much care people put in this. Uh, particularly with you know all brewers really should and most do care about the product but people who are devoted to, to barrel aging people who take the time with projects um 
to be ruthless and say, this is not good, this is good, and be tough on themselves. Uh, it takes a lot of care. And so just having this culture handed back and forth over you know 12 years uh, was pretty special. Um, so that's what you're drinking now. That's wild. It's almost the, the McKenzie bottles, I feel like almost they weren't popular when they came out, but then the more people just kind of realized like, wow, these are really good. And people would pull them out of their, their cellar and be like, wow, they did some really great stuff in that bottle program when, when Nate was there. You know, yeah, I mean, for, for being a little brew pub that sells a lot of light, light like, like uh, McKenzie's light and yeah. stuff like that. Um, yeah. Nate was just doing these projects on the side, you know, and nobody was paying attention, but uh, I was uh, lucky enough to get to work with him on some of those. He was almost genius in the way it's like, yeah, you're right. They make that light lager, the the stuff that they can sell upstairs. And he's like, I'm just going to start squirreling away these little bottles and we'll, we'll get rid genius. of these. It was like his little pet. Genius is one word for it. <laughs> you know, I, it's crazy. Like, I feel like a lot of people have these really fond memories of um of mckenzie's and and i keep like it's never a place that was really big on my radar i remember like drinking there once when i was really you know probably 22 or 23 or something like that and i probably had some kind of whatever their version of a blue moon was or something right there was probably some 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 weed here there yeah and um i remember like thinking like this is the craziest place i think like in the basement there was like a really cool bar like a downstairs and there was uh there was games and darts maybe and stuff like that and i was like this is just a really cool place to hang out but um you know it was just a place that i guess as i started getting getting into beer which you know wasn't that long ago but um it, I, I don't know, just I, I guess I never really took that place seriously or, or it was on my radar as something that people were talking about. But the more that we've gotten into the podcast and interviewed people, the, the, it, you know, roads kind of lead back there. I don't know if it was because um, it was one of the only spots for a long time, you know, and a lot of people came out of there or but but I just always hear people have a lot of respect for, you know, those those saisons and those bottles that were coming out of there back in the day. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's two other names. Like Gerard from up at Forest in Maine, um, okay. he was there with Nate for uh, quite a time, and then the, I believe the opening brewer was Scott Morrison. Uh, have you ever crossed paths with Scott Morrison? I don't think so. No. I have not. <laughs> well, I guess uh, being an independent, I do get a little bit more freedom to say whatever the hell I want. <laughs> uh, uh, Scott Morrison, I call him grandfather. Um, okay. He, if you, you know, the book on saisons that Phil Markaski wrote. I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. You'll wonder why there's a bunch of references to McKenzie's, like this random-ass brew pub in Malvern. Uh, Scott Morrison was close friends with Phil Markowski, and Scott produced some awesome Saisons. Uh, You know, like Saison Voiture that they still brew, I think probably goes back to him. Um, He's been been around the industry for a long time. He was a mentor of mine as well. Uh, He's called uh, Grandfather because none other than Gene Broilet, the fourth of Tired Hands, referred to him as the grandfather of Saison. Okay. I never let him live that down. How, how <laughs> Eric, he, he hates it um, because it's, it's ridiculous. He also made a grandfather that stays on, but um, he has a lot, he gets a lot of respect. And so that lineage from him to Nate to Gerard. And uh, you know, I, I'm not sure who's brewing there now. I guess that's how I'll put it. I'm not sure who's brewing there now. Um, it's, they've been around a long time. You know, it's been, it's, it's a, uh, it's interesting at this point with kind of the project that I'm doing to look back there, you know, 15, 20 years right. at what a brewery or brew pub was and where we are today and where do we go from here is one of the, what is one of the big questions I'm trying to answer with this, uh, this project. Yeah, I believe it. You know, we're always talking about how difficult it must be 
you know, to, to, to be another brewery, somebody else in the mix when, when there seems to be a lot of competition and things and, and how you can do it differently and how do you ride that, that perfect formula of um, having some, you know, a little bit of hype and people excited about your beers so that they're talking about it and spreading the word and, but also, um, you know, not overproducing. And there's just so many things to, to go into it. it it's such a, it's, it's got to be such a crazy thing to try to figure out as an actual brewery or brewer and, uh, and business owner. But I'd, I'd yeah. like to talk about yeah. the, uh, right answer either, you know? Yeah, sure. Sure. Not one size fits all. So tell us more about this beer. Um, I mean, you obviously told us the backstory, but tell us, you know, what, what's going on with the ingredients in the brewing process and, and what we're tasting. Yeah. I mean the, um, the, the brew day itself, uh, a lot of the beers that I'm producing, the brew day itself is uh, probably one of the least important days. Um, you know, it's you're making wort, and I've even played around with like taking some wort that uh, Locust Lane was brewing, just doing like small projects with taking some that they're already brewing, just you know, training off a little bit to play with. Um, so I mean, it's the saison base, it's the 80% uh, Bill's malt, 20% wheat, uh, very uncomplicated as far as uh, sure. as far as the brew house goes, the malt, the malt bill. Um, we're doing a couple. We're doing a couple. Uh, you said you're not super technical, or how interested you are in it. Uh, we're doing a little bit in the mash ton, uh, a couple steps, three step uh, mashing, to basically build up um, a beer that is light, doesn't sit on the palate, but making it so it still has uh, plenty of protein left in it. Uh, plenty of protein left in it, so that it doesn't taste watery. So a lot of that could be achieved in the mash ton through manipulating temperatures and times and things like that. But I mean, that's really try, kind of like gilding the lily. It's a very simple brew day, uh, you know. There's no, there's, no, there's nothing too crazy about uh, making saison wort. It's a fairly simple uh, process. Yeah. After that, uh, when it goes into oak, is that's like what we're pitching. Um, temp, fill, keeping fill level on barrels, um, blending back for the right level of acidity, right level of funk. Um, that's kind of where it happens. You know, the brew day itself is fairly straightforward. So how are you, uh, what's the right word, inoculating? How are you, uh, is, is, that, is that the right word? Did you, you read that in your calendar? Yeah, I just looked that up. <laughs> um, how, yeah, how are you getting uh, yeast in it? Uh, no, the, uh, well, that, this one in particular, um, most of the beer was fermented out with, I, I used DuPont and a couple of strains of bread um, okay. uh, on some of it. And then the other half of the batch, uh, was pitched with another yeast that I use and uh, and culture from free wool bottles. Yep. So that's I mean that's well, just basically that earlier, yeah. free wool bottles and uh, you know growing them up in starter wort and uh, pitching and see what happens. And you know with with anything anything in oak, you're getting um, a little bit of the character from what was in before, not in terms of the liquid itself, but the the microflora in the barrel. Okay. Uh, so you're picking up whatever's in there plus what you added. And then just seeing what comes out on the other side and uh, blending that, so that, that that unpredictability is part of the game with sure. fermentation, which I'm sure you've had guests on before that have talked about that. Um, but you got to accept the fact that you don't know exactly where it's going to land. Land, but you kind of what you do learn is seeing the trajectory of a beer, seeing like oh it tastes like this young, we're at this high point, I think it's going to plateau here. It doesn't get better from this point. Get it out of the barrel. And knowing where that trajectory is, where you're not sitting on something too long, where it actually starts to fall again. Sure. Uh, you know, go. It goes acidic, or it tastes like vinegar, or it gets weird, or meaty. All these weird things that can happen. You have to know when to, when to pluck it and get it out at the right point. And that's kind of um, that's the unpredictability. That's the that's what kind of makes it annoying 
Uh, as far as if you're looking at this as something as scalable, if you're looking at something is where it's always going to be a thousand percent the same thing. That's just not how this works uh, at all. So that's why a lot of breweries are like, yeah, don't hit. that sounds like an awful idea. You're not going to make money at that. So this beer specifically, was this one wart, one barrel? Was it a bunch of different barrels blended into one or was this more of a straightforward kind of brew? I feel like it's like one wart, two barrels. One wart, two like barrels. A 30 we won't. Uh, inter- we, like, <laughs> we might um, we might get a uh, a uh, spam link oh, yeah. link for that in the uh, chat if you pay attention. Sometimes we get the uh, porn spammers. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So the um, this is the same wart put into two different barrels, uh, and I actually ended up cutting it. Um, the other thing for using the free roll culture in one, and then what I would typically do in the other, I was able to kind of play back and forth uh, with the blend level. Um, to get what I wanted, right level of funk, light acidity. Um, it's it's a pretty little. I think it's a pretty little beer. There's nothing, it's, you know, it's nothing crazy. It's just a nice little saison, and that's kind of what Nate and I wanted to do because this uh, for this project, you know, saison is a style that um, I know it's supposed to be the year of the lager. Um, I'll be waiting for the year <laughs> the saison to come back, um, but you know, it's it's a style that um, every once in a while just coming back to it and be like, oh, this is pretty. This is nice. There's no 13%. There's no like Dunkaroos, cookies dipped in it, all this other shit. It's like nice. It's a nice little beer. (laughs) You know, I feel like Saison's are kind of coming back a little bit. I I see a couple more people doing it. I know the the seed down in uh, Atlantic City is definitely getting out their Saison's. And I feel like it might, you know, you might be a year or two away from the year of the Saison, but it's coming. Yeah. And that's actually, that's a. The one video that I want to do, if I knew how to actually run video uh, program, one video that I want to do is this um, making the argument for petite saison or just little saisons as a sustainable beer. So <clears throat> given that they're predicting within our lifetimes that we're going to be some post-apocalyptic hellscape with no agriculture and stuff like that, <laughs> right. um, you know, good luck getting hops, good luck getting a ton of malt. I mean, all these things might dry up. You know, even with supply chain issues, you know, we start to see little pops in business of problems. The argument for Petite Saison is it's not uh, grain intensive. It's not malt intensive. You can still get, I mean, this one's a light one, but you can still get plenty of cool flavors from yeast, which require very little input from the environment. Um, You know, basically, if we just drank more low ABV Saisons, you don't have to truck it. It doesn't need to be chilled uh, to ferment. doesn't need to be chilled to store. I mean, I think we'd save a lot of energy and a lot of uh, resources if we drank some more of this. And you can still get plenty well and hammered on it. Um, but it's, you know, <laughs> going for these like 14%, you know, huge labor intensive resource intensive beers, especially when we're talking about hops. Um, I mean, I don't know, reading the tea leaves and what, what's coming out, um, you know, how long can we sustain that? How long as an industry or how long is it as an environment can we keep doing this? So I just I think I'll stick to petite saisons. Uh, they're easy, like they're not easy to make, but they're you know they're light, they're complex, they're not intensive resources, and you know they they can be plenty intriguing. It's but, intriguing is a very good word for it. Uh, you know, I, as I was sipping it, I was thinking saisons. People can use saison to talk about a bazillion different beers. You know that I feel like when people say saison, that's like the biggest range or spectrum of beers that people talk about like i can have a saison that tastes nice and light and refreshing but i can also have a saison that really tastes the taste just knocks you over the head and it's just almost too much at times 
Yeah, I've got a negative association with Saison's because I think the Saison's that I that I had early on were maybe like, you know, these heavy peppercorn spiced, you know, whatever or, you know, the 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 I, I always say that they've got a funk to it that I don't like. And I know now that, you know, I appreciate a little bit of uh, a little bit of straw and barnyard, right? And, and you know, a little that, horse that blanket, a little horse blanket. Yeah, exactly. Well, but, this I mean, this being a barrel aged saison, it has that. It has those Brent notes. Um, here's a pet peeve of mine: the word farmhouse. For the last twenty years, at least, like breweries have wiped their ass with the term farmhouse. Mm-hmm. To like what they're trying to describe is something. It's it's rustic. It's you know malt forward kind of thing. But all the breweries over the last 20 years have used farmhouse to describe something. Where's your farmhouse exactly? Right. What does farmhouse taste like? All right. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a nonsense descriptor, yeah. and it's a marketing thing. And I think it honestly turns off people to a style where if they're like, hey, this is a pretty little beer, um, you know, like drink drinking-wise, like this one has, with having a little bit of funk and light acidity to it, it's not exactly fitting this bill. But a good saison should drink a lot like a pills. What do I mean? It's not a pills. It does not taste like a pills. But for the for the consumption of it, and like it's hot out, something refreshing, something quenching, uh, has a little bit of a crispness that makes you want to drink more of it. The experience should be like drinking a pills. Right. It just happens to have a little bit more of a yeast fruitiness to it, and that flavor that you're kind of describing with the pepperiness, <clears throat> without proper control of fermentation or knowing how to handle yeast, you can get overly phenolic saisons, where it tastes like a band aid. You know, the mm. amount of like medicinal clove yeah, yeah. and type of flavor. And that's what really was gross. Like I, I don't yes. enjoy that. Either. Like they're gross because um, they didn't ha- handle temps well. Because a lot of brewers think like put it in, uh, you know, basically they, they, they have this farmhouse thought in their idea because they read a book on Belgian brewing. And they're like, oh, oh, you just t- put it in, let it ferment at a thousand degrees. Like, <laughs> they like being hot. Like it's going to be great. I yeah. read a book. And that's not that's not how these styles work. Um, so that's where you end up with the band, big band-aid bombs that are gross when uh, a good saison, like I said, it should drink, have the same experience as a pills. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to try more of these beers because, you know, I, I think back about like the first saison that I had that made me rethink what a saison was, was probably saison hands. And I'm thinking like, well, this is, this is actually a bit sour and, and I actually really like this beer and how could this actually still be a saison right and, and i i just have no knowledge of it and, and now like to me anything that's got the acidity and a little bit of sour to it and some barrel notes to it i just immediately go like then it's got to be a lambic right you know and and even though yeah. it's not the traditional style but um that that's what i kind of want to dig into a bit more because you know this there there's this uh i want to i want to push everything into this like category of like this this you know sour um acidic barrel stuff is just all fantastic to me but i'm 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 tr- i'm putting it all in the same category and i want to learn more about it so that i can separate it and go well this is a lambic this is a saison this is what this is this is whatever this one is and and try to figure out what the differences are not only in the process but to be able to taste it and know what i'm getting like this as this thing's warming up i'm getting like i'm getting fruit now that i wasn't at first like these fruit notes and like i'm really blown away you're calling this thing this little beer and i get it but um it's just got so much flavor and so much like going on with it um 
I keep pouring myself more because I, I can't get enough of it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's a uh, and what you're pointing out is um, saison as a style. Um, Americans, in particular, uh, I would say I'll throw this out. Um, we are really fa- American beer drinkers are really really fascinated with taxonomy. We're really fascinated with like which category is this? Like where does this fit on this spectrum of things that I can plunk a box, you know, what box does this go in? <clears throat> when Saison as a style was here well before people started checking beers in and it resists the urge to people to completely understand. Um, before I make it sound completely esoteric, just to make the point that this style um, has agrarian pre-industrial roots and it resists our modern need to have the taxonomy. That being said, identifying the difference between a Saison uh, that is barrel aged and one that is not um, would be like that's that's this is the big first big fork in the road. Sure. Where you start getting the barrel aged saisons. Yeah, you're starting to veer into that thing where oh, I'm starting to taste things that remind me of a lambic. Right. They remind me of the other things I taste. Uh, but lambic and saison are two very different disciplines. Sure. Um, in what they're producing. But I mean, I mean, that's the the, the shame is and where we are uh, as far as clean saisons. Clean saisons being like not barrel fermented. Saison uh, Dupont to me is still the king. Saison Dupont is, you know, that's the thing that I want to, you know, I want to die with that, you know, in my, you know, like a glass full of that. Um, and if I were to take a cake of Saison Dupont, take the label off, put it on tap and call it my own, people would be like, you know, three out of five, not my style. Right. It's just a world-class goddamn beer. <laughs> and and uh, I, I joke about it, but I was always tempted to do it. If I didn't, if I didn't feel really icky doing that, I would just put it on tap and not, not you know, not say it wasn't Dupont and just have people bash it. Because that's where we are, where like the idea of subtlety, the idea of uh, light notes, the idea of something that's actually enjoyable to drink um, and is pleasant. It makes you want to drink more of it, not because you're hearing about it online, but because like, gastronomically speaking, this is pleasing to me. Um, you, If you like that sort of thing, you know, DuPont's your guy. But uh, that's just not where the beer drinker is. So it's not it's not old man shaking fist at clouds. It's just <laughs> making the point like, yeah, there's some things that are the kings of Saison. Uh, but they're just, they just don't, there's no hype and there never will be hype. Maybe there shouldn't be hype. Uh, cause then there's more for all the other people. Yeah. They really want to try it. Yeah. This thing's yeah. fantastic, man. Um, I just, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, man, this, this, you know, I, I don't want to say like this style, but these flavor notes, I just keep like, uh, every time I come across something like it, that's a sour barrel, whatever, regardless of if it took, you know, three weeks to uh to get the ward out of it i just love that nothing is over the top with it there's the yeah. acidity is not over the top the nope. the funk isn't over the top it's it's all there but it's i don't want to say you have to dig for it but it's not clobbering you over the head and making it difficult to drink it's just no. so nice and easy to drink you know, it's light but it's not thin if that makes any sense right it's there's there's plenty of flavor and plenty of body but still just being light and refreshing it's so yeah. much flavor, and that—that's um, part of that. Uh, that mouthfeel can be uh, manipulated in the brew house of knowing, you know, what steps at what temperature, what time to make things that, yeah, they attenuate fully. Uh, I mean, they, it ferments out. This finished at one plato, which I don't know anybody who's listening who uh, knows what that means. It's fairly dry. Um, it's fairly dry, but things that finish at one plato. Uh, as far as gravity, like they can, they can tend to get watery. Mm. Uh, this resists that because you're actually manipulating uh, what kind of proteins are left in the beer after mashing to make it so it still has a decent mouthfeel. 
Um, yeah, so that's yeah. Again, with a style this simple, with the style this simple, um, there's only so many chances you get to do the right thing yeah. as far as technique goes, uh, because you're not coming back after the fact like, ah, oh, shit, just throw fucking raspberries in it, like you know, like <laughs> right? you, you, yeah. you can't you can't do that. Um, and so you only get a couple of chances to get things right. And this is actually one of the first saisons I brewed on this system. So already I'm like, okay, here's here's the things I want to change for next time. Uh, it's nice to brew this one with Nate, but of course I'm going to make some more saisons. So I'm like, okay, here's here's some things I would modify, you know, for next time. Yeah, if you still like us when the show's over, you should try to um, get us in touch with that guy. I'd love to chat. Right if you can get him to sit in front of a camera and talk to you, I mean, <laughs> that'd be a feat in itself, right? Yeah. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> It'll be like that creepy, uh, that, you know, in the uh, Adams movies when Wednesday Adams finally smiles. Like it just creepy. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't it make sense. Shouldn't be in front of people. You can pass me that green bottle if you don't mind there. What should we uh, crack next, Dan? What, what would you recommend uh, be the next? Maybe the uh, strawberry ginger booch. Let's see how that one's holding up. What, so, is, what does booch mean? Like kombucha? Uh, there's kombucha in it, yeah. So it's good for your gut health and all that. You want to take a you want to take medical and dietary advice from a guy who looks like me for sure. But uh, <laughs> it's definitely good for your gut health. That's the number uh, number two, right? Strawberry ginger booch. Yes. Yeah. And this one um, was with uh, working with a small kombucha producer from Westchester. Um, Tiny changes uh, brewing. A guy named Joe and his wife run it. And I was attracted to the company just because of the, the name Tiny Changes. Um, it kind of, like, it, like, just at a very superficial level, it kind of resonated with me. I'm like, that's kind of what I'm trying to do here uh, right. with what I'm doing. Like, little incremental additions to society that have more to do than just making beer. So I was attracted to, you know, what they were doing. And then when I tried this uh, kombucha, I was like, oh, great. This like, the ginger that this guy is getting. Uh, besides being local, local doesn't make things automatically better. It just this one just happens to be superior ginger, and he uses a great level of it. He makes dry kombucha, which makes it great for blending uh, into beer. It doesn't overwhelm things. So with this one, you know, the little strawberry ginger, a uh, little bit of uh, sour blonde beer blended together, and uh, Bob's your uncle. Something a little bit, definitely a little bit different. <coughs> yeah, the, the nose is is definitely wild, man. There's just that the ginger. A little citrus, maybe. Yeah, ton, a ton of strawberries in that one. Um, but what I was going with here is like, as you noted with the uh, the saison before, I, I I'm learning to adjust my level up a little bit, but I do tend to undershoot flavors a little bit, and so I'm learning to be a little bit more assertive with them, um, without making things that are like overly overly sour or way too punchy. Um, this one it was just to do a fun project uh, with a cool guy. Um, so getting that uh, ginger level right, where it kind of you know has a little bit of like the kind of th uh, ginger and beers can kind of taste like uh, a little bit like cola or Coca Cola to me. Um, you know, ginger doesn't exactly present like it's not like you're eating like sushi with like pickled ginger. It's it's uh, you know kind of has like kind of this cola nut bitter flavor that can balance out a bunch of sweet fruit. Your talk of uh, fruits and additives, just the way you're talking about the ginger, the strawberries, reading some of the descriptions when uh, the peach beer that you guys do, where does your passion for that come from? The the almost farming aspect of, of what you're putting into these beers. 
uh, when I can get good things. I mean, it's it's when I can get. Um, again, it's not it's not just about um, it's not just about being local. I remember a very wise man, Dick Cantwell, who uh, is like from Elysian. He's one of the like the uh, he's one of the like the titans, like the uh, primordials of craft brewing. Dick Dick Cantwell. I remember saying, if like your if your business model is built on being local, you're taking a long walk off a short pier. Because okay. local doesn't taste like anything. Sure. Okay. I, I, that's not the romantic thing to say, but it doesn't taste like anything. If when I get a producer who makes things local, it happens to be some of the best goddamn product you can get. So just because it's local does not make it better. I just happen to know some people that make things locally that are some of the best you can get. Yeah. So anytime. And so when, if you're getting in, you know, strawberries from Driscoll's that are shipped, you know, a thousand miles to get here, um, they're fine. They taste like strawberries, but they're not going to be punchy. Um, when you can get strawberries that are grown in Lancaster, uh, brought down or any closer, fresh out of the field, picked at the right time, not the time, not picked at a time where they are suitable to be shipped a thousand miles, which is to say under ripe and they don't develop more. When you get things that are fine ripe and you get things that are picked at the right point and you know the guy and you can shake the guy's hand and he's not going to give you something that's bad, that's when it tastes better. Oh, yeah. uh, that's when local tastes good, when it's people are taking care in what they're doing. Uh, so yeah, as far as like being able to actually shake hands with the farmer, being able to actually see where they're grown, not for any other reason than I know that this guy really, when it comes to strawberry, this guy gives a shit about strawberries. I want to buy strawberries from that guy, and that's where you know it's not a romantic, it's not a romanticism about farming. It's just a I know I can trust that guy because I can see him and I know that he cares because his reputation's on the line. When Driscoll gets you know berries from a thousand conglomerates of farms that are picked under ripe. They're just not going to be great. They're not. They're never going to be great. They're not supposed to be great. They're supposed to be available. They're supposed Sometimes to be there. Yeah, <laughs> aren't available. Yeah, <laughs> dude, this, this this beer is so interesting, so delicious, and I'm trying to unpack it. And the the words that I want to use to describe it, um, maybe either haven't been invented before, or um, I can't come up with them. But it's amazing. And, and there's this, this thing happening in my mouth and in my nose as like, I drink the beer and as I'm actually swallowing it, these, these, uh, you know, I don't know if it's the carb, but it's, it's something more. I don't know if it has something to do with the kombucha, but there's something that lingers that stays in, in, you know, in the back of my mouth, in my nose. And it's a lot of fun to drink. Yeah. I mean, do you like kombucha? I don't drink it. I mean, I probably I, I, I've had a I've had a kombucha or two, but it's not something that I go out of my way for. That's, the, like it's it. one of those things where, like, if people are like, "Hey, am, uh, am I gonna like this?" Like, "Well, do you like kombucha?" Yeah, then you'll probably like this. <laughs> like, yeah. you like kombucha? No, you probably shouldn't get this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because um, yeah, I mean, his culture, um, his culture. The thing I like about it is that um, kombucha to me, I I enjoy it. Um, Things that are overly acidic, things that taste like vinegar, I don't enjoy. Um, so, I mean, Baba's Booch out of Phoenixville, they make great kombucha. Um, the Tiny Changes out of Westchester, I like that they're not heavily acidic. That makes them proper for blending with beer because in a beer like this, if you're getting acidic or strong vinegar tones, that's that'd be a flaw. Like sure. that would be an off flavor. So, getting a brewery where the cult or getting a kombucha brewery where the culture doesn't put off a lot of that makes it great for blending. 
I don't, I've never had a kombucha, so I didn't know exactly what I was going to taste when I tasted this beer. I was obviously looking for strawberry and ginger because those are the, the two words that I heard. And I'm getting them both, but they're in such balance with each other that, you know, as soon as I'm like, okay, I get, I'm, I'm tasting that strawberry there. And then the, there's the ginger and, and the vice versa. I'm looking for the ginger and then there comes the strawberry. When you're putting this together from the beginning, how are you achieving that balance? Are you, is it just experience that you know this much ginger to this many strawberries? Are you tasting constantly and adjusting it because you have that little bit more of an option as the blendery as you're putting that stuff together? Um, I, uh, I'd be lying to say it was scientific. It's not. Um, it's, I don't guess at it. It's just, uh, I love cooking. Uh, I love cooking. I love cooking in my home. Uh, I love being involved with restaurants uh, as well, people who make food all the time. And I think that there's a certain point where you get re- – like after doing it for a bunch of years uh, and you're cooking, chefs don't think about seasoning. You know, sometimes to a fault. Sometimes they make a mistake. And they make, but you know, as far as like when they grab salt to put in the dish, they grab salt and they put it in the dish. And it's generally going to be great. You know, and so like, you know, when you're, when I look at a, a 10 barrel tank of beer, I taste it. I look at the ginger. I look at the tank. I look at the ginger. I look at the tank and something in my head says, I think this is the right amount. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, that part, uh, not to be too esoteric. I mean, sometimes you misshoot it, but more often than not, if you get an experience for like, okay, ginger is a big, big punchy flavor. Shoot it under what you think. You can always add a little bit more if you need to, but generally you don't have to because you're just knowing flavors and knowing like, yes, undershoot this, yeah. overshoot this. Uh, strawberry, you can't do too much of. Um, you, you can't. Like strawberry is a general – It's and berries in, berries in general, you can't overdo because if you overshoot it, you just end up with something that's more delicious. Like it's not that you can't yeah. overshoot a flavor like that. Ginger, uh, if you overdo it, it can taste like a cigarette. You know, like it tastes like an ashtray if you overdo it. Uh, but secondly, the, the ginger that he's getting is from a place called Mad Radish Farm, which is near, I'm putting behind me in Malvern, like that's anywhere. <laughs> yeah. you know, back around oh, the corner there. Right there. Yeah, I saw those. Back around the corner, yeah. Um, Mad Radish Farm. And uh, they're producing ginger. They're growing it there. They're harvesting it fresh. And when you're getting young, fresh ginger, it lacks the the burn. Like when you think of eating like mm-hmm. raw ginger, it's, it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. When you get young, fresh ginger that's still, you know, hasn't dried out, hasn't been grown over um it's a more delicate flavor and so it's light and spicy and pleasant mm. um you know a little lemon balmy uh it's not the burny hurdy uh thing that you you know that you dice up when you're making stir fry i'm having so much fun with this like i there these beers are so unique and delicious and and have so much character that um i'm i'm just like blown away like I'm, I'm having trouble coming up with words to like you're having describe. a moment over there i'm having a moment i really am i really really uh am digging these beers um I i've made a living on giving middle-aged men moments haven't we all <laughs> <laughs> that, that's such a funny thing to, to for a brewer to say i mean it's, it's so true but um that's hilarious. It, it's it's only when you say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you talk about cooking because in my mind, brewers are more like bakers. 
they're they're taking their ingredients, they're putting them together, they're going to put them in there, and they're going to come out as this. And I'm not a baker. I'm a cooker. When I cook, I'm constantly tasting, constantly adjusting. I, I Will my salt be right? Maybe. But I'm, usually I'm doing a little bit something more to it as I'm going. And it seems like the blender, you get a little bit more of that, but not as much as I might think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a... Um... Like I said, the the, the, the the brew day is the easy day. Mm-hmm. Like the brew day generally is pretty. If you've made wort before, like you can you can make lambic. Um, I'm sorry, you can make lambic wort. Right. You mm-hmm. can make lambic. That's yeah. a very very different thing. And I guess it comes back a little bit to like the uh, the idea of you know where God makes wine, men make beer. Where you know the idea of wine or mead or you name X product, where basically you're trying to take a product from the field at its peak, get it fermented out and in a bottle to preserve as much of what God put into that fruit. Where brewers, this is a very mechanical process. It's a very, uh, manip- uh, it, it, not manip- manipulative. You are manipulating that raw ingredient to get a predictable result. Now that could be fantastic. It can foreground great hops and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I think the idea that um, brewers do a lot of twisting and turning chemically to the product to make it uh, on a chemical level, not chemically, but on a chemical level mm-hmm. to make that product into beer, where with wine, you're taking a grape and trying to preserve what was there before. And with a blendery, for example, I think what you might be pointing to is the idea that like, there's a little bit more of you can't fake it. Um, you can't fake it. You can't fix it in the brew house or just redo it. When you put two years into a project, like you better know kind of what you're doing because you can't just fudge it. Uh, a whole lot. You can blend some things out, but at the end of the day, if you're if you're putting stuff in the blend that shouldn't be there, just throw it down the drain. Um, it's just not worth keeping around if it's if it's not right. Um, so that's kind of what you're. Yeah, it's a little less mechanical. It's a little more. It's sensory. It's sensory. It's knowing what's going to work together, what you're looking for when you when you're constructing and when you're blending that beer. Um, you know, eighty percent of the blend is going to be sort of your heart stock. You know, in a blendery or in places that make this. Generally speaking, they're not doing, like you said, like one barrel, one beer, one barrel, and that, that gets batched out as a process. Generally, you're looking at they have one or two heart stocks um, where you have a, in the case of like New Belgium, they have a light beer that they brew and they have a dark beer that they brew. And every beer that they make is some blend of those two, of those two heart stocks. Where I, you know, if you think about like a Christmas tree or, you know, like, uh, you know, Christmas tree bill, your heart stock is the tree. It's the structure of what you're going to put up of that facility. And then you're just hanging, oh, this barrel has a little bit more of this flavor. You're just hanging little ornamental pieces uh, or accents on that heart stock to make different blends. That's why, you know, places like Jolly Pumpkin, all like every beer tastes freaking great because they have great heart stock. They have mm-hmm. great beers that they're starting from. So it's yeah. kind of tar- tough to mess it up. Like they're Jolly, the Jolly Pumpkin, uh, um, pumpkin beer is like one of the few pumpkin beers that I really enjoy. You know why? It doesn't taste like goddamn pumpkin. It tastes like a jolly pumpkin beer. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, you know, it's like, it's great. Um, so that's, you know, when you're thinking about that process of blending, it's really, you have the culture in your barrels, you have the type of barrels that you like using and you have a heart stock. And then when you go to blend, you're kind of accenting with little other barrels that stick out to you for some reason. Mm. But that, that center of it is always kind of, kind of be the same idea. That's wild. That's where you get the consistency from. Sure. Not to interrupt our great beer conversation here, but uh, number two, Kentucky has lost to the St. Peter's Peacocks. Who is that? And what seat is that? 
uh, they were a 15 seed wow. beating a number two seed. Wow. So I'm just going to light this piece of paper on fire when we're, <laughs> when we're done here. Fighting cops. March, right. yeah. March Madness lasted very quickly for me. The bracket is shot. Busted. Early busted I bracket. Everybody probably got blown up by that one. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, Dan, I, I feel like uh, like myself, I was introduced to you um, – you know, uh, we, we didn't know each other. I'll say I, I learned about you with your days at La Cabra. Um, can you touch on, you know, your La Cabra experience and, and how that experience there helped um, evolve and, and get you to where you are now? Well, I mean, as far as yeah, the experience is everything. I mean, uh, I think I came in to I mean, La Cabra. um is I'm still I'm still an equity partner there, so I wish them an incredible amount of luck. <laughs> I wish them all the success. You know, I would love for them to keep making money and doing what they're doing. Um, I'm just not involved in operations um, anymore. So the um, Lacabro started as a word document. You know, back in the days when I was living in Malvern, and you fast forward, you know, six years of working the beer yard talking to people <laughs> I managed to link up with, I had an idea. I wanted to make beer guys who were, you know, more financially sound, well healed. They wanted to be involved in a brewery, didn't know how to make it. We linked up, uh, you know, they decided that I was a guy to spearhead it. And I went, so that journey of, uh, learning entrepreneurship, learning the nuts and bolts of operating a business, um, that experience is, is invaluable. Um, I'm not using it. I mean, I'm not using the business side of things or the, uh, you know, the running an organization. I'm not using now. So I know employees, which is, you know, some days I miss leading a team. And then there's some days where like it snows and I'm like, like people ask me like, well, what was it like, like leaving? And my one, here's my one story. Here's the best way I can explain how it feels to leave La Cabra um, is it snowed this, the winter after I left. And I went outside and I made a snowman with my daughter. And that's the end of the goddamn story. <laughs> nobody, nobody called me. Yeah. Nobody asked, you know, what do we do? Like, yeah. and so uh, do I miss it? Absolutely. Do I love it? It's my baby. Like I started it, but I don't get to raise it. <laughs> um, it was unceremoniously put up for adoption to other people. Um, but when it, I, it snowed and I got to go out and make a snowman with my daughter, that was pretty cool because I lost a lot of time. Um, in retrospect, I, I wouldn't have, I would do it again all over again, but yeah. I did lose a lot of time with my kids to do it. So it, even if with the project I'm doing now, even if it's not as intensive or splashy, um, I get to be a dad too. You know, and that, that means something to me. Absolutely. So. Quick lacabra question. Were you responsible for the mole wings? The mole wings? Uh, no. Okay, then we don't. I don't need to talk to you then, because whoever did those were is the guy I want to talk to. No, the the wings in general. Uh, the wings in general um, before opening. Uh, that was actually a guy named John Hearn, who never. I don't think got as much credit as he believe as I believe he should get. We need to get um, him on the podcast because <laughs> those wings <laughs> fucking slap. Well, yeah, the the wings of Lacabra they're they're cooked sous vide, so they're cooked sous vide. Delicious flavor, have all the, 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 the collagen, all the yummy, juicy bits cooked in sous vide and then flash fried. And like that's one of the things that make those wings very different from other wings. Um, but John Hearn, who actually, if you're, are you local to Westchester? I forget. 
Yeah, yeah. We're, we're downingtown, Coatesville, Westchester. Yeah, yeah. Don and uh, another guy who worked at La Cabra, Dan Marola, took over Roots Cafe mm-hmm. down in Westchester. This is, uh, I guess, four years ago now. Okay. Uh, they're still doing a great job down there. Um, you know, it's like as far as the kitchen and running a kitchen, I was always kind of lucky to have uh, guys like John or good chefs who generally weren't too crazy, had good flavors and would work with me. Uh, so as much as I will not take credit for those wings, I will take credit for being uh, a very difficult person to work with for a chef because <laughs> I'm not I'm not a complete idiot. Like I, right. I, I I have a vision for what this place should be. I know when to step back and say you are the chef, but I'm also not going to let something suck. Right, right. You can't. That's not an option. There's too much sacrifice, too much time, too much money. <laughs> that's and actually as a matter. So here's an example why I suck to work with. The best tortilla chips I ever had from La Cabra. The um, there's a brand of chip that uh, the chef brought in. I you know, the chef brought in like three or four different brands. I had one brand that I liked. It's a superior tortilla. It's a, a superior tortilla for chip making, for taco making, yada yada. I insisted on that brand. You, you that's the kind of thing where a chef would usually be like, I can pick out a goddamn tortilla. Who cares? I can't. <laughs> right. And so the fact that he's like, that's the best tortilla. Thank you. That made my night. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would get involved in little things I felt passionate about, but um, which is maybe a little uncommon. But I also kind of like it's unfortunate. Sometimes sometimes I know what I'm talking about. Sometimes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's vindication. I got a vindication right there. Thank um, you for that comment. That's awesome. Shout out, <laughs> Fish. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, um, you know, I feel like La Cabra um, – you know, had a really good reputation for the beer, the food, a fantastic spot, you know, being, um, I mean, that's, that's like the, uh, the R5 line, right? Yes. You know, so you can easily hit that and a few other great spots, um, in the area. But, um, you know, I, I feel like La Cabra had a really good reputation and w- was kind of blowing up with a lot of other people, um, with, with like the hop scene, right. You know, just a lot of really good, um, Hoppy, hazy beers. I feel like that. What was it? Uh, like the Shatters. What were those beers called? Shatter. Shatter yeah. series. Yeah. yeah. You know, stuff like that. I just, I just remember seeing people going crazy for. So, you know, that seemed to go really well, and and you know, people were excited about it. And then, you know, I, it sounds like you've always had a passion. You're talking about even early on, you know, um, transporting wort and making the sours and and trying to barrel stuff. You know really early on in your brewing days, um, you know, what, what made you decide that you wanted to focus on that? Um, I, I think I liked, and kind of like you were talking about, like the, the cooking element, I liked that there is a sensory, um, there are sensory elements in all brewing, period. However, with barrel aging and blending, um, there is a part that can't be quantified. There is a sensory part where you have to kind of have a feel of I think that this much of this one with this much of this one will be right. And you can obviously go back and titrate. You know, you can you can sample like different blends and have a committee and everybody scratch, scratch, sniff and all this shit. Like I, I kind of enjoy me being the person who says, I think that this will work. And some like, you know, sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it does, but there's an unquantifiable element to it. Um, I think as far as uh, what you might be kind of leading towards is uh, I, if if I die ever soon let me let me like let me put this out there you can take it and run with it if i write a memoir it'll be if you want to brew beer don't start a brewery 
Like, <laughs> if you want to be, a, if you want to brew beer, don't start a brewery because the last thing that you're going to be doing is brewing beer. At some point, at some point, they'll get you in a desk. Like yep. whether you're the guy with whose face is on it or whatever, you're going to end up at a desk doing spreadsheets at some point, or going mm-hmm. to nine a.m. Monday meetings. And I think that um, part of with Lacabra, one regret that I do have is that I, I didn't. I feel like I didn't focus intensively enough on something that brought me joy, on something that uh, people would enjoy seeing from Lacabra, and I feel like I didn't really focus enough on that because again, if if you want to brew beer, don't start a brewery. You know, you're gonna end up being a uh, you know a desk jockey at, at some point because you get caught up in operating a business. Sure. You know, there's only so much mental bandwidth. You know, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure what you guys do. You know, for your day job, there's only so much mental bandwidth you can give to passion. When you start getting, you know, in the nuts and bolts of making all the shit work mm. every day. See, I skipped the brewery and I I went straight to the spreadsheets. <laughs> That's what I do. So. Yet somehow you're probably doing all right more than me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I went in the wrong field, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. It, it's really interesting to hear somebody say something like that, you know, that, um, you know, there, there's so much of that day to day monotony that you have to do. And then it just ends up taking away from, you know, it, it probably, um, you know, takes a little bit of fuel away from the fire. Right. You know, that that passion, that fire that you have, you're, you're constantly doing it and, and it starts to just weaken that flame. So you decide at some point that you're going to go out and do this. Did you, did you decide that you just needed to get, get out of La Cabra or did you decide like right away that this was your path? Was there a downtime in between or, or what was that Um, like? After after La Cabra, I went up to brew. um, I went up to brew in Pottstown for about six months. I went up to Pottstown United Mm -hmm. uh, there. I worked with uh, Adam. They brew Uh, a lot of stuff, right? Do they do a lot of contract? Am I thinking of the right place? Yeah. No, it's a small, it's a small group. Yeah, they have uh, a four-barrel uh, system down in the basement. Okay. And so I went up there to brew for uh, about six months. Uh, then, you know, after that, the uh, same thing, COVID-related, uh, COVID-related layoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a great time for anybody in the industry. So I, you know, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. complain about bouncing around because uh, it was, you know, it was unprecedented, and everybody kind of did what they needed to do. Uh, but then after, after leaving Pottstown, it's just like I just, I, there's a part of me that I, I don't want to. I don't think I do well raising somebody else's baby when it comes to brands and stuff like that. So walking into a brand that was pre-existing and operating within it, I felt like, it, like I was putting ideas into something that wasn't mine. Um, which at the end of the day, you need a job, you need to go work, and that's fine. But then you know, it, it's not you know, I, I've been lucky to do what I love, and so if I start not loving it, I stop doing it. Um, and that doesn't—it's not financially viable all the time. But you know, I have kids; they're not starving. You know, I have a house; I have a great wife. Like, I—I'm not wanting for anything that I really need. And so, if I get to do what I love, then—I mean, don't tell her I said that. She <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've been—if if for my—you know—I've been able to do what I love for many, many years. Uh, and when I stop loving it, I stop doing it. So, how did you get the hookup with the guys at Locust Lane? How did you? meet with them and decide that that's where you're going to do your next project at the most, the most valuable thing that I took from La Cabra was, um, relationships. Um, Hey, you know, as much as I can be a bear to work with day in and day out, um, I think that I garnered a relationship with other breweries that I, other breweries who I worked with 
did festivals with or partner. If they need a cup of sugar, I lend them a cup of sugar. Those relationships are invaluable. Um, and Tom and the guys here, um, forever grateful to them uh, that they kind of gave me a shot. And for them, it was like kind of nothing better, nothing gained uh, at some level where it's like, you know, hey, you're not doing sours, you're not doing barrel stuff. Uh, I'm not going to cannibalize any hoppy beer sales. I, I never thought that I would say I like I miss brewing hoppy beers. But after a year of not brewing them, frankly, I do kind of want to brew some hoppy stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like coming on board here, I was doing styles that they weren't doing. And so basically I go, I saw my beer. It's a separate brand. They have no input on branding, beer, anything. Just I work with Tom to, hey, is there a spot in the schedule where I can get a brew day in? I take the word in the back and I handle from there. So it's a good relationship where I get to do my own thing, but I work with a team. Um, you know, this it's the support of a team. You know, the, the, the front of house here is helping to sell the beer. Um, you know, I, I'm being supported on that end. And from a sales front, I can do online sales across the state, um, but without having to buy another building and staff it full of people. Um, so, and so from their end, they're getting some, you know, different beers that they don't usually have on tap. And from my end, I have uh, the support of a team that does a great job and they're solid dudes as well. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, like, we, we've had Tom on the show before uh, a couple times. I think he was on the Brewers the Brewers Roundup, too. We did the Brewers Roundup with him and we did the two different shows with, yeah, uh, the, fam with the fam guys and all that stuff. But um, he has just got to be one of the most selfless to me out of a lot of the guys that I've met. I feel like he's probably one of the most selfless uh, business owners especially in the brewing industry um, that I know, right? I just feel like he's constantly willing to like help people out and look for an opportunity to help lift somebody else up. And um, I don't know if I, I don't think I've ever said it to him or anything, but I just, that's my interpretation and my, uh, you know, my view of how I see him is he's constantly looking for an opportunity to do that for other people, which yeah. is just an he's, incredible he's attitude a, to have. He's no dummy either. Yeah, no, he's no, not yeah, at all. He, he's a shrewd businessman, but I think there's a lot of shrewd businessmen that don't have that. They don't care enough to go help other people. That's, I think, what makes him pretty special. He's, he's not a sap. He just, like, he'll give things a shot. If it doesn't take anything from him, he'll try it. Sure. And I feel like, especially over the last two years, the really notable thing is after over the last two years, still being that way. Because I can tell you that collegiality among breweries Maybe it's me kind of being on the on the on the outside a little bit, waiting for my barrels condition. I can tell you that uh, sense of collegiality, even collabs and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if that comes back after COVID. Mm. Um, I don't know if it comes back. I don't know if it's fruitful. I don't know what happened. But I mean, I definitely the sense that he's a person who cares about other people's success too. Um, I'd be interested for maybe with your next couple of guests, or as you guys are kind of picking and brains and stuff. You know, did what did COVID do to the sense of collegiality among brewers? Yeah, that's a really friends. interesting question. We're still friends. Nobody dislikes anybody. Yeah, but now we, we it's kind of like you guys. Don't tell me you didn't use COVID as an excuse to get out of some shit that you didn't want to do. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think breweries to some extent or another are kind of like I'm just going to run my business. I'm not going to pretend like I have to go fly all over the country to do collabs because I I don't know how financially fruitful they are. Yeah. You know, so for me with this project. I like Nate. I want to work with Nate. I like the guy from Tiny Changes Brewing. I'm going to go do something with him. And I don't have to do collabs because I feel like I have to. I actually want to. Yeah. <laughs> but that it might be, I wonder about that. If, um, you know, COVID, COVID uh, I don't think 
changed anything. Uh, I think it just accelerated things that were going to happen anyways, mm. is my sense with that. And I think that breweries, I wonder if it's just me. I wonder if there's other people who might say, like, just generally reaching out, checking in with other people. There's no animosity, but I feel like it dropped. Um, I wonder what other people think about that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I'm curious as well. You know, I, I feel like at the beginning, you know, we always say that like beer people are the best people. And, and it's one of those industries where a lot of times, you know, even though they're technically competition, they're not, you know, they, they try to help each other out. They try to collab. They, you know, we hear stories, especially during COVID of people constantly like, Hey, I need this, you know, you have this or I'm out of aluminum. Like I got you. Yeah, exactly. So, um, that's interesting, but you know, once everybody got past some of those supply issues and there wasn't a necessity for it, what actually happened to it? Right. That's yeah. really still, interesting. Still true. Still true that beer people are good people. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying some of the. Uh, I mean, I think people are just really focused on their own businesses right now, yeah. rightfully so. That it might it, like there's nothing crazy about that. That's how most industries are. Now, I can think it's of some cool. examples. I I I know exactly what you're. What, what, I think I know what you're getting at, and I can think of some examples that way where. Things, things got real tough and you just got to focus on what exactly you're doing and you just, you know, don't always have the time to, or the ability or whatever, you know, to worry about that kind of stuff. All that extra stuff that's nice to do, but what, what, what should we crack next? We need to get another beer and we're already, uh, yeah, I don't know uh, if we're going to get another two in, what do you suggest? The, uh, the cherries? I change it up then and do, uh, babe, do the Imperial Stouts. Stout. like Imperial Stouts? Yeah, we've been known to drink a stout or two in our day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the cherry is nice. I like the cherry. Uh, definitely should try one. Um, but yeah, given time constraints, yeah. When you said do an hour, I'm like, we can do an hour for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can talk for about three hours. No, I. You tell me to shut up. This is usually what we say after we we end the show. But I love 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 guests like you because. Um, you know, we're obviously here to provide content and, and to learn something and to get to know people, but somebody who can actually, um, who does a, like a really good job storytelling and things like that, make our jobs easier. And, you know, there's times where we interview people and we get, you know, we, we start asking questions and we dig into things and I feel like I'm out of content already. And I look over at Mr. Steve and the timer and we're like 15 minutes in and I've like, I've asked like six or eight questions and, and now I don't know where to go exactly. And I feel like we're just scratching the surface. I thought I knew where we were going to be. And, um, and there's still more to talk about. Like, you know, what is a, a ghost garden? I, yeah, it's uh, I thank you for saying that. I finally got to use my English degree. Um, I feel like I, I feel validated now. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I love, I, it's, it's really nice for me to be back out talking to people, um, <laughs> with not, you know, I, I, I told my wife before I left, like, I hope I don't like say, Hey, I'm Dan from La Cabra. Like, Oh no, 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 no. Wrong talking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cut. <laughs> like, um, no, but it's, uh, being out and talking to people again, uh, it's, it's been really nice. Um, not COVID related, more just. Uh, more just a matter of me taking a year to get stuff aged. This stuff's not fast. So it took me, I don't want to come out and talk to people until I have something to give them. Like even you would ask me back in January to come on. It's like, well, just give me like another two or three months. I have some stuff coming. So I, yeah. I don't want to talk if there's not product behind it. Um, but yeah, Babe um, is uh, one of the clean, uh, the clean beers that I put out. 
uh, brewed the wort with Locust Lane. They took half, I took half. I put it in Manitani uh, whiskey barrels. It's dry uh, for an imperial stout. I, f I find it to be dry as uh, oak, whiskey, no adjuncts. Uh, there's lactose. Uh, there's a small amount of lactose, but basically just a tiny bit for mouthfeel. Uh, I don't add enough lactose to, like, basically anybody who, uh, it's not a perceptible amount where it's added to just enough that I can basically, I know that it's going to it's gonna fill in the flavor of a beer. I don't use lactose at a, at a level where you can taste it. Even with the hoppy stuff that I did at La Cabra, like, I don't want to taste it. Right. Like, I want it to, I think, used in small amounts, it's not a gimmick. In small amounts, it can really round out a beer nicely that's pleasant to taste. When it's ever used, it's like old baby formula. Like, I don't want that flavor in my beer. But it, it has a place in low amounts in beer. I know you probably have a lot of lactose haters on or lactose lovers on. But I think it has its place in small amounts. It can be flavor positive. Makes sense. Yeah. I, I just am going to use the descriptor old baby formula as much as I possibly can. I'm taking that. <laughs> well, that's the uh, the barley wine that I brewed down at La Cabra called, uh, they still brew it, I think, old formula. Uh, the name came from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was uh, the worst smell, man. You'd find that old bottle that like fell behind the back seat and you'd open that thing up and like, oh, oh. Why'd you open it? Open it, you dumb dildo. You don't open it. Leave, throw it away. <laughs> Just throw away the whole bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, if I would have thrown away a bottle, my wife would have killed me. <laughs> I used yeah. to have six bottles. Why do I only have five? Well, let her open it then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm on kid number three, so I, yeah, I, I get that. No, thank you. Man. No number three for me. I know it'll end up being another girl, and I just don't know if I can do that. That's why I had to get a boy dog. I was not yeah. having four different girls oh, yeah. in the house. Yeah, two, two girls? Yeah. I have two girls as well. So to see. Same. I did two girls. Luckily, the third one came out boy. Did it? All right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's rare. That's like hitting the lottery. Clickety-clack. Boy came out. Don't they <laughs> say, like, when you have two of the same, then your chances are, like, 75% to have the same one for the third or something like that? I've never heard that. No? No. I've never no, heard I think that. that's a thing. Hmm? You know, but also... I know I wasn't taking the chance. I was not rolling those dice. 54% uh, percent of statistics are made up as well. That's what I hear. Yeah, what I do, usually I hook it left. <laughs> yeah. Hook it right. <laughs> that gets the boy. Yeah, hook it right. Um, I'm trying to think of like a really... I'm trying to think of a, of a different way to explain beers. Because me not understanding the brewing process... And just liking to taste things, I if I like a beer, I say it, it's balanced, balanced. It's got good body, and uh, it's well rounded. And that's like all I can. That's like my entire vocabulary. So like the last few beers, I'm really trying to like really dig deep and think about what it is because I do feel like these beers are giving me an experience. And, and not that I'm trying to compare it at all, but I think about um, it's a completely different thing, but. Uh, the, the cider people, Dressler State. Dressler State. You know, maybe because it's it's just unique and different and, and out of my, my normal wheelhouse of, of hazy IPAs and, and Pilsners and whatever, right? Um, it, it's an experience. And, like, when I have these things, it just, it just completely – I feel like it's like a life experience, right? I'm just, like, experiencing something that's, that's completely different and amazing. And, and I feel like I'm actually getting it with this stout, even though – it's there's not a um, you know it's it, there's no pepper in it or chilies and there's no marshmallow and and shit like that. Um, 
there's a lot going on here that I'm, I'm it, it, maybe it's, it's simple, but at the same time, like I'm getting some heat from, from some whiskey. I'm getting like those roasty notes that, that aren't too bitter, but there is enough, enough bite there that it helps balance out. There's a little bit of the sweetness and, and I, and it, I feel like it almost goes chocolate. Like I feel like I'm about to taste chocolate, but it's not. And it, and yeah. it kind of goes away. I, I, the, the thing that sticks out to me a lot is yeah, like slight, slight whiskey. Um, they are fresh barrels, uh, but that was only part of the blend. So again, I have my whiskey. Um, I have my whiskey aged one. I have my one that was aged in virgin barrels, which might, it might also be a little bit new. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people are using virgin barrels. Mm-hmm. Where, like it's not, it's never been used. Right. It's a barrel. Like Just they oak. use too many whiskey. Um, so I basically have my virgin stuff, my whiskey stuff, a little bit of stainless, and then I back blend because I don't like, I, I'm not a huge fan of liquor, frankly. Um, I don't want to have a whiskey stout. I, um, I don't like it to be a knock you over the head kind of whiskey flavor. I like a little bit of nuance to it. Not, not always a popular opinion, but, um, I like to have the nuance, but I, I understand what you're saying. And if I didn't have to sell beer for a living, I think I'd probably be able to do the same thing you do, where it's just like, I, like, where it's like. Everything's where uh, when I have a beer that I like, I don't want to talk about it. Mm. Like I don't want to talk about. It. Like I just my only thing I say is everything's where it's supposed to be. Yeah, like, like, every, all, like all the parts where it's supposed to be, everything is good. I want another one. That's all. I, like when you really <laughs> go. Yeah. Uh, if I didn't have to sell beer for a living, that's all I'd ever say about a beer that I like is everything's where it's supposed to be. Yeah, I like, feel like yeah, great. Hey, man, give me another. Yeah, exactly. No, I like that because you know, I, I feel like. Um, that reminds me of a couple of things, but one, like we're supposed to be providing some kind of beer content. Like I, I feel selfish, right? Like we really are in it because we just love talking about beer and it turns out that, you know, people are willing to come on the show and, and that we're really interested in that we get to talk to and learn things. But I feel like, you know, I want to do a better job providing beer content, right? Like I'd love to really be able to pick things out and be, you know, a connoisseur of all these flavors and, and and things and know that like oh man you can tell this one's heavy mosaic and um you know or whatever pick out like uh, th- this is probably you know so4 yeast and whatever like I-, I couldn't do that you know what i mean and um but i'd like to i'd like to be sometimes i'd like to be able to but other times like i just like knowing that i'm having a good experience i'm really enjoying the beer and and, and what's a good way to to you know uh, explain that and show that to people and get the point across that like I can say it's fantastic but I'm trying to tell you why I think I am and and sometimes it's easier than others what with with increasing vocab or I guess you know well, let's have a tasting have you done like a virtual tasting before no yeah I mean if you get a get a you know two four packs together whatever listenership you have uh, if they want to like tune in drink beers and if you ever get that together, I'd be happy to be on your panel of people who aren't douchebags. And I, I'm a teacher, by the way. I, I teach full time um, to keep to keep my mortgage paid. Okay. Um, so I love teaching. I love being around people. I, you know, like sharing vocab with I'd, about uh, with the beer. I'd love that. We've talked about yeah. it a couple of times. I would love to have like a little tasting thing, and and that's a great idea. Pick out a four pack or, or four beers, and encourage as many people as possible to to go grab those four beers somewhere. Yeah. And let's if, taste them together and talk about what it is. Ron, who, you know, uh, I love explaining things to people. I'm not awful at it, uh, but also understanding that people aren't always meeting in the same place where like, I don't have, they just don't have the vocab yet. They know what they're tasting. They know what they like. It's not like their palate's broken. They just don't know how to transmit it into words. 
Um, so yeah, that I, I like yeah. That. If you ever get that together, I'd love to do it. Yeah, that'd be amazing. It's a good idea. We shouldn't talk about it on air because somebody's going to take it from us. <laughs> <laughs> I really like this beer. I was a little worried when I saw the milk sugar because it's uh, as you said, it, it can just go too much, and that's what I was a little worried about. I like my stouts with a little bit of bitterness, and this has a little bit of bitterness with me. So I'm ha- I'm definitely happy about that, and I definitely get your descriptor of this is not a whiskey stout. This is a stout with whiskey. Yeah, I mean, you say you say you like bitterness. I like a little bit of bitterness in my stout. I feel like over the past, and I feel like it's gotten better in the maybe the past year or two. But back a couple of years ago, it was like every stout just had to be overly sweet and overly adjunct and that's all people were putting out because that's all people were buying but it's yeah, nice to get that that bitterness back in there a little bit yeah i mean honestly the this one it's that to that metric i could use a little bit more bitterness um like i don't get charcoal here where um you know i get a little, a little bit of uh, dark chocolate a little bit of burnt toffee the whiskey's there, the oak, the, like the twangy uh, American oak flavor is definitely there. But what I don't get is charcoal. Um, where if you think like Old Rasputin, mm-hmm. Old Rasputin, one of my favorite Imperial Stouts all the time, um, you know, you have that charcoal note, that that light, light bit of it that's so pleasant. Where I think to your to your point, I actually could use a little bit more in this one. Um, it's not a nice Imperial Stout. I say I could, I could use a little bit more of that. Is that a Russian Imperial Stout characteristic? Because I always hear about, in, I you know, that's Old Rasputin is Russian Imperial Stout, correct? Yeah. Is that, I always wonder what's the difference between Russian Imperial Stout and just Imperial Stout? You'd have to get an expert. You'd have to get one of two things. You have to either get an expert in Imperial Stouts on or get somebody who's dumb enough to disagree with beer nerds about that distinction. <laughs> I am neither of those. <laughs> I can tell you what I think, but I know that somebody who has the BJCP guidelines in front of them will be like, well, actually. actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so ask ask a beer nerd. I'm not a beer nerd. I'm a brewer. Resp- Old Rasputin is one of the ones that I, I try and get one, at least one a year. And just, I freaking love that beer. <laughs> I, could, I could sit in the basement, and my basement's a little bit chilly, but I have like this little electric fireplace, and I could sit and just spend time with that beer. Not do anything and just drink that beer. Yeah, we didn't get enough snow this year to have a true experience. But yeah, when it's snowing out, there's nothing better, buddy. Yeah. You know, I I, kind of feel like this overall evening, I'll say, is that like what I'm what I'm noticing with a lot of these beers that uh, these three beers are completely unique. There's nothing about them that makes me say like. They're all just completely unique. They're all very, very different. But each one of them has this incredible complexity of flavors that all play so well together, incredibly balanced. It's amazing to think that the process that you try, you started to explain, you know, that of what's going on with these beers, how difficult it is, how long it takes, everything that's going into them, that they, they taste this well-executed they're all completely different, completely different beers, but nothing, nothing so, so like nothing is 
knocking you over the head. Like I think you were saying earlier, not, there's no ingredient that's too much or it just makes it like I was trying to make this cinnamon stout and it's just so much cinnamon or whatever it is. Everything is perfectly put in place. Exactly Everything's where it's supposed to be. There, there it is. Once again. Thank, yeah, thank, yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, seeing that in the beer. Um, even, you know, as you, I think you stepped out to hit the head or whatever it was. Uh, we were talking about like for this beer already. Like, so this is my, my first year of brewing wart. And now after that year, I'm finally getting to release things. And so already, you know, like with this version of babe, I'm happy with how it came out. I think it's a, it's a fine Imperial style. Um, but already like I'm looking forward to next year to brewing it again because I just don't get, it's not one of those styles. It's not one of those styles where you get to brew it like every goddamn week. Like if you brew IPAs, guess what, buddy? Like if you didn't get on this one, get them next time, Slugger, because you know Monday morning you do it again. But this one, you, know, you generally only get to brew it once or twice a year. So already I'm like, I have my notes, like I, I got to up this, like a little more, you know, a little more bitterness, whatever it is. So um, yeah, thank you for, this, for a first shot. I'm happy with it. I'm happy to send it out. I wouldn't send it out if I didn't think it was a solid Imperial Stout. But I appreciate the, you know, yeah, acknowledging that I'm not, you know, things, things should be balanced, things should be pleasant. Uh, we can always make fine adjustments, but. No, I think we're lucky as well to live in an area where um, generally you're not going to have any brewery worth their salt isn't who isn't putting out good beer. Like I, I think you're not going to last. <laughs> we've crossed the other side of Looking Glass, where like generally speaking, unless it's a place that just is bad, you're not going to find breweries that are putting out a bad example of a style. Um, I don't know how many crappy beers I've had in the last two or three years. Maybe I'm not drinking the right places to have crappy beers, <laughs> but I think we're pretty lucky in this area. Like you know, everybody does a pretty so solid lucky. job. We're so lucky. It, it's it's crazy. I mean, not only do we have probably one of the best beer markets, right? Like everybody wants to get into our market and to sell beer here, but we also are very lucky with the quality of brewers. And the variety of brewers yeah. doing different stuff. For sure. Yeah. Between this and the South Jersey, it's, it's, it's uh, lucky. It's just, yeah, even coming from Central PA, I don't know if there's anybody who listens to your show from Central PA. I'm from Central PA, so I'm not. I'm allowed to say it. I mean, this the scene is not what it is here, and Pittsburgh's mm. up and coming, uh, or going to surpass Philly as far as the quality of Calvary Brewery. But yeah, we're really lucky in, in this market. Oh yeah, for sure. I know you talked about the time that some of this stuff takes. What do you have coming up that might be coming out in the next uh, month or two here? Anything? Uh, <laughs> well, anything fun that you're excited about? Uh, speaking of balance and nuance. Uh, for uh, Locust Lane's anniversary, which is also kind of my anniversary here as well. So I start, I started making wars like right around. Um, I'm going to do something that's not balanced and nuanced. So I'll be doing one of those big old smoothie, sour nonsense beers. Nice. <laughs> um, you know, the old puree beers. Um, it's more just to show that I can do it and then not do it because I don't want to do it. <laughs> right. uh, I want to make sour beers. I want to make well attenuated actual sour beers. Uh, and that's another thing that we didn't get to tonight, but I'd love to hear if you have anybody else on who, um, if you have any, anybody else on who makes sour beers, ask them how we're going to get people to transition from fruit pulp back to real sours. Because mm. if, if we can't make that happen, I'm not interested. Like, it's like, you know, <laughs> you know people like I'm a sour girl. Like I, I love like in a beer festival, like, Oh, do you have a sour? And then you give them, uh, luckily if I'm there, I can kind of like, I can explain what's going on. But they're expecting like froyo, yeah, 
and you hand them a well attenuated barrel aged sour. So the term sour has gone like topsy turvy in the last six years. Mm. But as far as what's coming up, I'm gonna do a big old smoothie. I think I'm gonna do some pineapple, some coconut, make it fun. Um, you know, drink some puree for a little bit, and then just don't do that. Um, <laughs> last year I did one for their anniversary just to show them I could do it, but I just don't want to do it. Um, <laughs> on that, I have a raspberry and a rose water um, project that I'm working on. I want to play with some rose water, like basically go to the Indian Isle and find something interesting, and uh, you know, the Indian part of the Isle of Wegmans, and find something interesting. Like, oh, rose water, cool. Let's play with that. Um, so yeah, some some of those projects. I'll be excited within the next couple of months. I'm hoping to put out some more straight, um, maybe like saisons, just uh, non-fruited, non-non-flavored, non-fruited uh, projects as well. Uh, probably have some uh, some more ready uh, that should be able, be able to do that. So it's a mix, a little bit of silly. I I kind of get to do whatever I want to do. Like I'm not trying to fill a tap mm. room. I'm not trying to fill a tap room. I'm not trying to have an IPA, a new IPA on every week. So I get to like blend when I want to blend and when I feel like I have to blend something. Uh, to say something, and if I don't have anything to say, then I won't make any beer. So there's a sense of intentionality to it. <laughs> so, so when we when we had this podcast with the guy that's doing the film about bottle condition beers, right? And and he's talking about like, listen, people don't realize the work that goes into it, and and they're they're just starting to be over the last few years really appreciated. Um, you know, and people are saying loggers, you know, coming back. Do you see like, do you hope, I'm sure you hope, but do you see like a trend happening where, you know, as more and more people get exposed to the craft beer industry through exploding canned sours, you know, through, um, the, the haziest, juiciest IPAs with, with zero IBUs and, you know, but, but then they end up having these fantastic, you know, traditional european style beers and, and then they start evolving into lagers and pilsners and eventually finding these like you know these awesome barrel projects do you see people coming back to that and and maybe a growth in the market more than there is now um i that's a big question <laughs> um that's a big question and i hope i'm wrong i don't and so you're like well, why are you making them I don't think it's ever like, you know, basically, you know, let's say late nineties into like the early aughts, you saw, you know, your Russian river explosion, uh, Americans really getting tuned on to this thing, uh, like cascade and like all the guys who put you know, beer out across the, uh, the country. I don't think that it's ever been a super, like we're looking, we're talking like with craft beer drinkers and the people who like traditional sours, you're talking about a niche within a niche. Mm. I don't think it's going to grow beyond that. I don't think it has to. Again, this is not a scalable thing. It's basically if you know of if ten percent of craft brew, uh, beer drinkers will occasionally buy some bottles of sa- like true sour and enjoy it and like having it out for you know cigar night or something special because they're not cheap. Yeah, like that's how it always has been, and that's how I hope it stays. Where it's con- consistent, these people know what they're talking about. They know what they're getting into. They know what the brewer's doing with this, and they enjoy it. Like s- sticking to that core of people. And making sure you don't do goofy shit to piss them off is the right thing because they're smart. Like people who like these kinds of beers and know about them, they are well, they are the most educated of the educated beer drinkers. They're no dummies. They know when you're trying to give them something awful and you can't lie to these people because they've been drinking this stuff since it started. Like they've been, you know, they've been drinking, you know, basically you talk about what was our first craft beer experience. These guys were already drinking craft beer then. 
and and you can't lie to them because they're a hyper educated intelligent consumer and they're not going to blog about you they just won't drink your shit anymore and they won't recommend it to anybody um so i don't think it grows beyond that um and i'd love to be wrong you know i love right. i'd love for more i love for more people to find this i think that the sustainability argument for petite saison that i laid out earlier I like love maybe that. yeah maybe, Maybe you get some uh, people in, into it from that, where like this is an actual sustainable beer. Uh, it happens to taste good, but it's also not uh, resource intensive. But I, I don't know. Um, I hope I'm wrong uh, about that. But I also don't lament that uh, because I think the people who enjoy, you know, you talk about like the seed or a fermentary form or like, you know, some of these guys who are like putting out barrel projects, um, that new place by that asshole, the furrow. I don't know if you heard of that place, <laughs> the furrow. Guy's a douche. But um, people who enjoy that know about it. They're really educated. They're not going to snow you. They don't, and they expect you not to lie to them with your product. Um, and so you have to always put up good things. And I like that. I'm fine with that because I don't need to. I, I don't need to support a huge team of people. Yeah, I I hear you, and and I love I love that passion and that model. And it's like I like being, you know, that underground thing that the people that really care are the ones supporting it and and that's great but you know i i think i forget the guy's name the guy from uh from that podcast from bottle conditioned jerry yes jerry was jerry. the uh, bottle conditioned guy jerry said this and and now it's become like a, a dream that i would love to see happen is he's like you know you go to a restaurant a nice restaurant right and they've got this incredible wine list like people should appreciate you know, a, you know, a, a whatever, a, a six or eight year old Cantillon, like they do a whatever, some kind of crazy bottle of red or, or whatever. Right. So I, I, I really get excited about the idea of like, not, you know, imagine any fancy place around the main line having, you know, a furrow bottle or furrow bottles on this like specialty list because I think I would get really excited about that. And people, people, it's not on people's radar. People, you know, go crazy about these, these wines because that's a good year and whatever. But like the same thing can be true with these blended aged beers and, and nobody, and it's not on anybody's radar yet. I, I think as far as quality, that industry has been there for a long time. And if Vinny Salerzo from Russian River can't figure it out, um i don't know who anybody right yeah i mean i um i i i a thousand percent will get on train on that on that that train i think that'd be awesome i just think you like wish in one hand and poop in the other (laughs) Um, Mm. um, i guess i i would make the inverse argument as a brewer who thinks that our industry and this is one of the things that like is it enough to just be a brewery you know, we're, we're not going to get to the garden tonight or the farm probably operate. Like, is it enough to be a brewer anymore? I guess I look at it where over the next five to 10 years, craft brewing is not dead. It's not um, dying. It's just not growing at the same, at the same astronomic rate. And I think that craft breweries need to knock it out over the skis, take care of their home base, make sure the people that are keeping your lights on are happy I think that over the next 10 years, the average Americans could spend their money on uh, Snapple. They could buy um, yeah, they could buy Snapple. They could buy White Claw. They could buy whatever new product is coming out other than beer. And so I think um, the, the pipe dream of seeing uh, 
beers, uh, barrel, uh, bottle condition beers, appreciated like other wine. I think as an, as an industry, we need to think of some creative solutions to ingratiate ourselves, to continue to entertain um, the drinking public. And I don't think that adjunct pastry stouts are necessarily the thing that's going to get us there. I don't think that, you know, um, that's a, an answer. If I had that answer, then I wouldn't, I would be like starting another brewery right away. <laughs> right. Um, but just maybe some food for thought of, yeah, I'd love if they would appreciate it were appreciated more, but I think we should be more focused and more um, lean in our planning as brewers and just stay true to your core, make your local population happy. Don't try to become a regional brewery. The age of regional breweries is about done. There's no more. I don't uh, No, No, uh, let me, let me uh, clarify new regional breweries. Okay. Um, I I even think established regional breweries are, are we, I I've been saying for a couple of years now, you either want to be incredibly huge or you want to be small. You don't want to be those middle guys right now. Yeah, and that's you know, so you look at a company like Trogues, you know, like the, these these whales and art like Trogues, Dogfish, Victory, uh, the the big boys in the, our our region. And what I'm saying is that with very few exceptions, there aren't going to be breweries nuzzling up into the whale class here. No, you know, and I don't think they should want to. Um, financially, I think it's a really bad idea. Sure, <laughs> but, but, and uh, so that's you know. I think over the next 10 years, um, if I can contribute something to making sour beers more appreciated, more on that wine list, that would make me really happy, like locking arms with other people doing this and like, let's do this together. I think it's a, it's a great idea. I just think that um, knowing who your audience is and making sure that you keep them happy and that you're honest with them is um, the best, the best approach. It's, it's a very solid, non-sexy approach, I know, but you know, that's where I kind of choose to sit. No, I, I kind of love that. We we had a conversation um, a, a little while back with somebody that's got a brewery. And I tell him, I said, you know, the quality of beer that you're putting out, the brewer that you have, the beers that you guys are doing are better than, than, than most, right? But you refuse to do a hazy IPA, okay? And, and if you did, I know that you guys could knock it out of the park and and you know all of these places that people are traveling and trading for and and there's so much hype about you guys could execute that if you wanted to but you don't you could have lines out your door you guys are that good why not and he's like this is the this is how we do things this is the way we want to do it this is our passion this is this is the way we're doing it and that's it right and it is what it is. We're just going to keep doing what we what we want and with the way the things that we like. And then you know, I go in there, whatever, a couple weeks later, and the place is packed. And I'm like, how good does it feel to know that you did it your way, and and had no reason, you know, had had no thought about doing it any other way. And and as much as anybody like me could try to tell you to do something different, you stuck to your guns and your place is packed and you're doing fantastic and people are posting and raving about your beers and whatever, you know what I mean? It it looks like everything's great. How does that feel? Cause that's gotta be the best. Like, you know, that's, that's like writing a song that nobody gets and then you play it on stage and you've got people like just with their jaws dropped looking at yeah. you right like like it's got to be a similar feeling right 
was nice. That's when I would have told you, like, dude, you have so many good ideas. You should start a brewery. That's my go-to line for people who <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know, like you have a lot of awesome ideas, man. You should start one. Go yeah. for it. I'll be the first one to buy a beer from you when you get open. Yeah. Um, but uh, to his, I guess I'm not for stubbornness. I think you should brew whatever the hell you want when you want to. Um, and part of me, if you're trying to keep, the, if he wasn't packed, the other inverse of that is if he wasn't packed, he'd just be a stubborn idiot. But right. he's happy to be packed. To his, and maybe to support his point. I think we're at a point now where we're talking about, I think you got to brew a hazy IPA to make your guest happy who's walking in. Because I, I, I always run guest-centric businesses. Sure. I don't, I always, I always run guest-centered business. That's where I push back on the gentleman who I don't know, and that's fine. I always want to do what uh, the guest appreciates. I'm all, I'll always be like that. <laughs> Luckily, what I want lines up with them because it means you make money. Um, that being said, I think that... Um, to support his point, that the other option is this: that he does brew a hazy beer. Um, nobody will really care there. People who like their other beer, like oh, they brewed a hazy beer. It's not like, like it's not like people won't go there anymore because he brewed a hazy beer. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just fun to show that you can do it. But the more likely thing is if it it's awesome, it's a great hazy beer. He knows it. You know it. Blah blah. blah. Nobody in the industry will care. Like there's so much shit going on all the time. Yeah. That for him, it's not like. It's not like he makes a hazy beer. It's like, oh my god, my revenue went up by thirty percent. You're a genius. I never thought of that. Like, yeah, right, yeah. Point, like it's more likely that you do it. And I guess I've always explained it like, like with uh, with Harry Potter. Um, are you familiar, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, like it's the idea of when you open your brewery, you have about three to four months to get sorted um, into whatever school you're going to get sorted into, and then once you're in that school, it's almost impossible to get reassigned that's crazy but it's so this, when you open a brewery you know you have a very small period of time based on the aesthetic your promotion the opening lineup who shows up mm. who's in your demographic and then you're either an old head brewery a cool kid hype brewery hipster brewery like you get sorted and then it so for that gentleman if he brews a hazy beer and he knows it's good you know it's good it still won't change his sorting in the world of kind of estimation and I feel like if you pay attention to where people kind of get like hype breweries, once you are a hype brewery, you're very lucky. If you caught that, God bless you. Like, you know, you will ride the wave of hype, that double-edged sword. Uh, if you're a brewery that's a local place that has, you know, local yokels and people with families come in, you're not going to get the, you know, you're not going to get the cool 20-year-old guy with three nose rings, but like, you'll also be able to pay your bills because you made their kid a chicken fingers, you know? Yeah. So what do you want to do as a brewery? Just understand, once you get sorted, there's very little you can do to change that. I love um, that. The, the sorting hat. Like, I love that <laughs> idea because I, I constantly say, like, these these breweries, they get, like, when I, when I think of a brewery, I can exactly tell you how I associate them. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. brewery does sours. That brewery is, you know, hazy IPAs. And that brewery's European styles and whatever. Yeah. Like, that's their thing. God, I love that. You're yeah, so it's... You love it until you're running a place and you're, everybody's like, you do this different thing. And I'm like, it wouldn't matter if I did. We got like, this is where we are. Yeah. Everybody will tell you why you shouldn't have been sorted where you are. But I but really want to do this Belgian double. And like, no, yeah. but that's not you. It's Nobody not gives a shit. <laughs> How frustrating can that be? Like you're, you're, you know, a passionate brewer that really wants to do this style and you know, you've executed it well and nobody gives a shit because you're the, the hazy IPA guy. 
That's got to be fucking frustrating. A lot of it. I mean, yeah, like, um, it's not it's not a lamentable thing because then you're also like, hey, you know, how you're like paying your employees and running a business <laughs> that affects people's lives in a positive way. If you go go fuck off, like go go. If you want to brew what you want, stay at home. <laughs> stay stay at home, brew if you want. But if, if you want to run a business, I believe that saying guest centered is a thing. Yeah. If you want to brew whatever you want, go home and brew it. Um, it's not about that. I think when for me running a business and being involved, the one thing I miss is being part of people's lives in a positive way. The amount of people who you know proposed in our building or staff members mm. who had kids or you know left or got a degree or went to a better job, like. All those stories and those people's lives you get to be involved with, that's the most, like, so, uh, that's for me a very, very essential part of why I want to do this, why I want to be in that's this amazing. industry. Yeah. So if somebody says, we don't like your double IPA, eh, well, uh, or hey, you should brew this style, you shouldn't have brewed that. It's really kind of, I made beer and I got involved with people's lives. Uh, that's that's kind of the tail of the tape for me. That's I'm awesome. also not dead yet, so hopefully, <laughs> make some more things. That's amazing. I think, uh, Fish yeah, is saying it's almost time. Should we do a Should we do a toast? Let's do toast. How about a beer? Woo! Might be Brews presents the toast of the week. Oh my god! Dude. I got a quick one. Go ahead. Claude Giroux played Claude. his thousandth game as a flyer. Holy shit! He was a quality dude. I think he's going to get traded here this weekend. The trade deadline, I think, is uh, is Monday. Can he the, get uh, traded? How is he not you know in a walker? Isn't he like a thousand years old? He's not a thousand years old. He's definitely older as far as hockey players go, but he's definitely not. And he's a, still uh, contributing. He's still contributing. He right. can definitely go to a enough to get traded. A team that's going to be in the playoffs and and make a difference. They're linking him to the uh, Avalanche, but he's been he's the most games as a Flyers captain. Wow. He's never been like you don't hear anything bad about Claude Giroux. The Flyers stink right now, but. He's a quality dude, and we wish him well. Cheers to Claude. I've got Toast a Claude, Claude jersey upstairs. There Cheers. you go. Cheers to Giroux. And they actually won a hockey game tonight, so that's a bonus. 5-4. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Shout out Fish. I'm going to give him a toast quick. But um, my, my toast is uh, probably by the time, before we do the next podcast, our good buddies, Brett and Laura. Yeah. They're probably going to have their baby. Pop that sucker out. That thing is ready to... <laughs> to pop um i think she's technically her due date is the 19th i think okay. uh, we went to dinner you know not that long ago and she was pretty much saying she's ready to go but uh i think by the time the next one comes out that's going to already happen and i might have to end up doing it again then who knows what what, what the deal is going to be but anyway that was my toast toast to brett and laura I hear the, cheers to you guys good I, luck with the little guy i hear the uh, 29th would be a, a really good date to have a kid is that your birthday that's my birthday oh shit it's coming up, huh? It's a great day. Best day. Um, uh, honestly, for, for my toast, I do want to point out this, uh, at the end of this month, Locust Lane is celebrating their fifth year uh, anniversary. Nice. So Locust Lane, I have a special relationship with them. Um, they're coming up on five years. So to be able to do this for five years, and again, build a strong business um, that's full of a lot of great people and still not be jaded and be happy and that shows in their beer, it shows in their uh, presentation that shows in their team and i think guests can really feel that uh if you haven't been to locust lane in a while if they got their little sorting cap on and you decide it's not a, like come uh come check them out they're putting out some great liquid um put it back on your rotation for places if you're, if you're close to malvern and especially coming up on five years you can't be bad at something and do it for five years 
Um, yeah, I for sure. Do it successfully for five years. Um, so come check it out. Come check out some furrow stuff while you're there. But a, a, a toast to Locust Lane for a great five years. They Please. were they were actually one of the breweries when you were talking about the sorting hat thing that I think has kind of changed their house a little bit. When they came out, they had their their like four styles. They had that like first weekend and and those first couple months. And I feel like people did kind of put them in that. Oh, they they did those couple classic styles. And but now I feel like they've branched out, and I think people are getting a little bit more into the stuff that they're doing. And I think it's uh, they're doing a great job. The, yeah, the, the push is still uh, for those guys. Again, I'm not I'm not uh, formally with Locust Lane, but I, I love the hell out of their business. Um, if you haven't been in a while, come check them out. Uh, doing a lot of new beers. I've, I've also got a couple things on that I work with them on some of their projects as well. Um, so yeah, come check them out if you haven't been around for a while. Yeah, I, I love those guys. Uh, fantastic people, fantastic beers. We got to do another show with them, Dan. I I think I think we could do another two shows. Easy, easy. We've got Mike, another another four Mike hours in us. Not like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've got another four hours. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad we finally hooked up, and yep. um, I want to do it. Let's do. Let's figure out the tasting thing. Let's do a tasting show. And um, I'm telling you, man, you, you are so much fun to talk to. Anytime you have anything going on, if you think there's a place that we can help you, let me know because hey, I would love, love, love to to hang out and, and talk again. Um, it was just a fantastic time. You were a great guest, and I'm so thankful for the time and the content and the beers. Jesus Christ, the beers are so good. JC Thanks, gets a shout-out on those beers. All right, but let's yep. wrap this thing up. Guys, if you took the time to watch, to listen, to hang out with us, we really appreciate you. Big shout-out to Dan, the Furrow Blendery. Make sure you look him up online on social media. Make sure you're following us, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the good stuff. But if you took the time, we appreciate you so much, and we will talk to you next time. Oh, yeah.